0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
1: Good morning, Awaken. My name is Emily Short for those of you who don't know me, and I'm really, really, really excited to be able to present for you all this morning the first artist in resident for our new space. Please welcome Jane to the stage.
0: Hi, Jane. Jane, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Jane. I go to school in St. Paul. I'm a junior in high school, um, but I live in West St. Paul with my mom and two dogs and two cats. Sounds crowded. <laughs> can, you, uh, can you tell us a little
1: bit about your art and what you have chosen to display for us out front?
0: Uh, well, what I have up right now is a lot of school stuff. Um, by taking art classes in school and then the sketches are more what I do at home when I can find time between homework and sports and
1: yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite medium? Or
0: um, Pencil is easiest to go to but when I was asked this question at um, a meeting um, at the walker I worked there um, someone said an instrument so I also play piano and I like dabbling in that very cool, very cool.
1: So being a high schooler and busy as you are, why is it that you choose to keep art uh, a main part of your life? Uh,
0: I think when you know that something speaks to you or like honestly, if you're good at something, um, then you have to do it. And it doesn't mean you have to do it because you wanna show off or something, but just because when I do art, I think about what it means to have a talent, and that in doing art I can glorify God in a way. Um, yeah, sounds good. Well, Jane's art will be up through April, and uh,
1: feel free to say hi, chat, ask her about it. She's got some visual art as well, some writing pieces that she's done on display. So yeah, thank you very much, Jane. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Thanks, friends. For those of you that don't know uh, uh, Awaken and why we do this Artist artist in Residence piece, one of the things that we want to say that is important to God and and, uh, being a spiritual person is that creativity and this impulse that we have is, is something that's directly connected to God and who God is and how God made us. So uh, every other month, we try to have somebody from our community uh, who shows uh, the work that they've been doing, and, and it, the hope is that it's actually a part of our worship gathering. Uh, so encourage you to check that out. Talk to Jane if you have any questions about that. Um, she will be available this month to do so. So thanks, Jane. Uh, for the rest of us, if we would stand, we're going to invite you to greet one another. There is coffee and tea available in the back. Uh, so go ahead and do that for a moment, and uh, we'll be back together in just a second. Well, friends, uh, like I said, my name's Mike. if we have not met, and uh, one of the privileges that I have as a pastor is to be invited into really meaningful moments in people's lives, Uh, baby dedications, infant baptisms, weddings, funerals. which is an honor that I don't take very lightly. And so this morning, we are excited to be able to participate in that together. Uh, If you don't know the story of uh, Hannah and Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, there's a woman who was uh, longed to have a baby and prayed and prayed and prayed. The Scripture says she poured out her heart to the Lord, so much so that people thought she was maybe had been drinking or a little crazy. She was really, really intent on pouring out her heart to the Lord and uh, eventually became pregnant uh, with What we know to be is Samuel and Hannah. uh, When Samuel became of age, took him to the temple and dedicated him back to the Lord, as if to say, "This is this child is a gift from God uh, and recognized as such." And so, then took Samuel back to the temple and dedicated him to the Lord. Uh, And so, that's kind of the basis for something that maybe you've seen in churches before, called uh, a dedication. And so, we're going to do that today, Mike and Callie. Uh, And and the intent is really to say that we recognize this gift. That God has given. And uh, Mike and Callie want to say that in front of this community that uh, they recognize it as such and and also want to sort of dedicate Laura back to the Lord. So I want to invite Mike and Callie, if you would make your way up to the front. And uh, they've picked a verse, uh, a scripture for Laura, uh, which is Psalm 91 9 through 12. So I'll just read that over her, and then uh, I'm going to invite family and friends to come and just kind of surround them, and we'll, we'll pray for them. But Psalm 91 says this, If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So I'm going to ask uh, family and friends of Laura and Mike, or I'm sorry, Laura and Mike, well yeah, Laura, Mike, and Callie, and the others here, Uh, if you guys want to make your way up to the front here, we'll have you guys just stand right in the center, if you would, and we're just going to surround them and uh, pray a blessing over them. So yeah, family, friends, come on, I didn't know, maybe they didn't tell you this was part of the gig, but welcome to Awaken, come on up, we're glad you're here. (laughs) Very good. If you want to just make your way up and surround them, stand behind them, if you would, so we can see their lovely faces, and Laura... Awesome. So glad you guys could make it. So uh, I want you guys scoot this way a little bit, make a little more room here. Here we go. So Mike and Callie asked if I would, uh, to try to find a blessing for them and for Laura, um, That uh, A Hebrew blessing, actually, and so I dug a little and found something that I think is fitting, so uh, would you join me as we pray for them? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. We are humbled by this awesome power of this moment. From Mike and Callie in their lives, they have brought forth life. Through their love, they have fashioned a child out of love. May Laura be a blessing to all that she meets. May she count us among her blessings as well. And from Numbers, the Lord said to Moses, this is how you are to bless them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Awesome, let's give these guys a round. Thank you so much. I always wait for like the, you know, the Lion King moment. Ah, There we go. (laughs) That's great. Thanks, guys. You can have, you can find your seats if you would. So before we jump into uh, our passage this morning from the book of Hebrews, I want to just remind you or let you know, if you didn't know, we have a prayer space over here on my right to your left. Uh, And we've been working on this. It's not quite done yet, but uh, we want to dedicate some space in in this room to prayer and uh, allowing people to to do so. So there's a couple of kneelers over there, and there's actually Sharpies over there in the windowsill. And at any point during the gathering, before, during, after, if uh, you'd want to or would like to use that space for prayer, uh, you're welcome to do so. And if you want to write on the walls, um, friends, this is your opportunity. Free reign to write on the walls in the prayer space right over here, okay? So if, uh, and one of the ideas or one of the thoughts was that uh, our singers and songwriters might at some point go into there and gain inspiration for songs that we might sing uh, from the prayers of the people of Awaken. So if you want to do that, and then after each gathering, uh, our prayer team has been faithful and, and growing, and they are available to pray with you for any, uh, anything that you guys are like. Bye, guys. Uh, so they'll be available right over here uh, after the gathering, and they'd love to pray with you or for you. So um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and as you do so, I want to begin by reading from uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Annie Dillard, and hopefully uh, the reading of this will make sense in time. So this is from a book called "To Teach, Teaching a Stone to Talk. She says, One cold Christmas Eve, I was up unnaturally late because we had all gone out to dinner, my parents and my sister and I. We had come home to a warm living room and Christmas Eve. Our stockings drooped from the mantle beside them. A special table bore a bottle of ginger ale and a plate of cookies. Does anybody put ginger ale out for Santa Claus? No. I I thought that was a little weird, too. (laughs) We'll take that up with Annie. Uh, "'I had taken off my fancy winter coat "'and was standing on the heat register "'to bake my shoe soles and warm my bare legs. "'There was a commotion at the front door, it opened, a cold wind blew around my dress, "'and everyone was calling me, "'Look who's here, look who's here.' "'I looked, and it was Santa Claus, "'whom I never, ever wanted to meet. "'Santa Claus was looming in the doorway "'and looking around for me. "'My mother's voice was thrilled, "'Look who's here!' "'I ran upstairs.' Like everyone in his right mind I feared Santa Claus thinking he was God. I was still thoughtless and brute reactive. I knew from right, I knew right from wrong but I had barely tested the possibility of shaping my own behavior and then only from fear and not yet from love. Santa Claus was an old man who you never saw but who nevertheless saw you. He knew when you'd be when you'd been bad or good. He knew when you'd been bad or good and I had been bad. My mother called and called, enthusiastic, pleading, but I wouldn't come down. My father encouraged me, my sister howled, and I still would not come down. But I could bend over and see, down the stairwell, Santa Claus stood in the doorway with night over his shoulder, letting in all the cold air of the sky. Santa Claus stood in the doorway, monstrous and bright, powerless, ringing a loud bell, repeating, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I had never come down. I don't know who ate the cookies, Annie Dillard. So many of us have ideas about who God is, what God is like, uh, preconceived ideas and notions. God is, you know, like this. It's like Santa Claus, uh, the person who you never want to see, but who definitely sees you. Which I always thought was a little creepy about Santa Claus. You know, like he knows when you're sleeping. That's a little weird. <laughs> this is a little weird. Or God, like a cosmic vending machine, you know, that one, if you put enough quarters in God, finally, you pump enough quarters in there, God will finally give you what you want, as if God can be bought. Or uh, the classic one, God, you know, angry with a white beard, with a Bible in one hand and a lightning bolt in the other, just sort of waiting to smite you. Or take Jesus, for example, right? Everybody knows that Jesus is a mild-mannered Scandinavian in a white tunic with a blue sash, because we all know he was sponsored by Clairol. I've been working on that one all week. Was the delivery okay? Did I, did I rush it? <clears throat> for better or for worse, though, we have ideas. We have uh, assumptions and preconceived notions about God, what God is like and what Jesus is like, the Bible, heaven and hell, the Holy Spirit. Some of them come from the Bible. Some of them come from movies. Many of them come from Dante's Inferno. But either way, we've got ideas about what God is like. And as we continue in this series on Hebrews, we find the author of Hebrews starting a conversation that takes up most of the book in Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 4. And this is a conversation that is actually... uh, uh, Garrett, can you turn me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm really loud, and I'm going to get pretty louder, a lot louder. Um, So uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and this is a conversation about Jesus and about the high priest of Israel. Um, which may not seem very interesting or applicable to us now, but I hope to make it uh, interesting and applicable. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll read, uh, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says, in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Pray with me. God, as we uh, gather this morning in this, split, in this space, uh, we, again, don't take for granted the freedom that we have to, to come uh, in this season of Eastertide, where we... We learn and we work out and we explore the implications of what it means that you were resurrected from the dead. I ask God that uh, this word would be the words of God today for us, that you might remind us who you are, that we might learn from this, the author of this book uh, who wrote to a church and, and people just like us, uh, trying to encourage them and inform them about who Jesus was and what he did and why it was important. And so God, I pray that would be true for us today. And all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat. So a couple of things I want to do this morning. Again, this is a conversation, and it takes up most of the book of Hebrews. The largest chunk in this book that we're studying is is a conversation about Jesus and the high priest of Israel. And I don't know if you've ever been at a church where this was talked about, but you know I could go. uh, I could have studied all week about the implications and the intricacies of the high priest and what they wore and why they wore it. And it was a real show. I mean, it was quite a large. It it was it was sort of a, a pomp and circumstance the high priest. But I don't want to do that. But I still think it's important to understand. What is the high priest? So I want to answer that question, or try to. And then ask, why was it important that Jesus was designated as the high priest, or as a high priest, the last high priest? And then land on, so what? Like, what does that mean for you and for I today? Uh, So first and foremost, what is the high priest? A couple of things that you should know about the high priest. One, and it was noted here in this this passage, the high priest was a descendant of Aaron. So if you go all the way back in the book of Exodus, in the story of the Exodus, you have Moses and his brother Aaron. And uh, in Exodus 28, we learn, or we hear, "...then bring to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve as priests." So the high priest and the priestly line in Israel was always or intended to be from the line of Aaron, which were the Levites or the tribe of Levi. So first you have to know the high priest is always a Levite. Now that actually changes later on in history when uh, Herod actually appoints a couple of different high priests, and it becomes a much more of a political thing. But early on, the intention was that it would come from this one tribe of people, uh, of which uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this person was the religious overseer of the temple activities. So if you imagine back in the day, all of the worship in Israel happened in the temple. And uh, so you could imagine they were uh, sort of like, in our day and age, a pastor or an archbishop or something. They were sort of the tip of the spear in the hierarchy of worship of Israel. So everything happened at the temple. Everything happened through the priests. And everything happened through and by the high priest this one who was kind of overseeing all of the activities of the temple and the things that happened there. So they would offer sacrifices daily. There were sacrifices at the temple in Israel. And these priests and the high priest would be a part of that, essentially. They were the worship leaders, as it were, in Israel. And then one final thing that I'll say about the high priest that's important for us to know. Has anybody ever heard of Yom Kippur? Yeah, or as Minnesotans call it, Yom Kippur? Yeah, Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur, uh, and I'll just show this little uh, diagram here. This is a picture of uh, there are four high and holy days in Israel that they celebrate each year, and in in theory, everyone in Israel would come back to or go to Jerusalem to the temple for these days. So in the spring, you had Passover, which they would have just celebrated before we celebrate Easter. Uh, and, and then there are four... So Passover is the celebration of the Israelites evening, leaving Egypt, the Exodus. And then 49 days later, they're out in the wilderness and they receive, Charlton Heston gets, of course, the law at Sinai, which is the celebration of Shavuot, the receiving of the law. So then you fast forward into the fall and Rosh Hashanah starts 10, a 10-day 10 period called the, day, the 10 Days of Awe or the 10 Days of Repentance. Rosh Hashanah, if you know, is the Jewish New Year. Or, or more broadly, the celebration of creation in, in Jewish life. So you have the ten days of awe, and then you have Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. And this was the, the of the high priest. This was their most important duty in all of the year. How many of you seen uh, uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? Yeah or the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's the one. So the Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're searching for the Ark of the Covenant. And if you know, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was the place where God's presence rested. So in this Ark, there were the tablets and God's presence, or the Shekinah glory of God. So if you imagine in the temple, there is one place all the way back, far, far, far away, behind all sorts of veils, and and you got to go through a number of Of rooms to get to it. It was called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, was the Ark of the Covenant. And only one time in the entire year could someone, the high priest of Israel, go into the Holy of Holies. So on Yom Kippur, they would bring, apart from all the other sacrifices, they would bring a bull and two goats, right? They would sacrifice the bull, and they would make their way all the way back. Imagine, if you will, you know, rooms, veils, veils, then a huge veil, then I'm inside the Holy of Holies, where, of course, the drum kit is. <laughs> and only once a year, only once a year, they made their way all the way back in through all these sacri- you know, uh, sort of... Um, uh, rituals and things, cleansings and whatnot. They would come in, sacrifice the bull, and they would sprinkle the blood of the bull on top of the ark to, set, to uh, sanctify the temple itself. And then they would cast lots or roll these dice. That's how they came up with craps. It's a joke. Totally a joke. Come on, people. They would, they would cast lots to determine which of the two goats they would sacrifice. They'd sacrifice one of the goats and put the blood of the goat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was to signify the sins of all of the people of Israel for the entire year. And they would take all of those sins and place them essentially on this goat who was sacrificed for, on behalf of the people. Then, and this is fascinating, interesting, they would t- the high priest would, he would take his hands and place them on the head of the other goat who had a red cord tied around their neck. This goat was called the Az Hazel, the scapegoat. We've been doing this for a very long time, have we not? And he would essentially confess the sins of the people and impute them on the goat, as it were, and then that goat would be led out into the wilderness to a land that was uninhabitable, it was to say. And the sins of the people would essentially leave the building. <laughs> so fascinating. The high priest was essential in this process. Now, there's some, and in some of my study, many of you have heard me talk about like a, a rope that they would tie around the ankle of the high priest in case something went wrong in there and he died. They would pull him out. May or may not be true, I found out. So I just wanted to pass that on. Could be folklore, right? Either way, the high priest, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Very, very big deal. So this is one of, the, uh, one of their major responsibilities. If you could sum it up, What was the job of the high priest in Israel? They were a mediator of God's presence to the people, and they also took the people and their sin or their concerns to God, right? Everything in Israel came through the high priest to God, and everything from God came from God through the high priest out to Israel. Does that make sense? Very important how this whole thing kind of looks, even if you think about it in your mind's eye. What does that look like? From God to the high priest to the people. From the people to the high priest to God. So the high priest was a representative. They, were, they mediated God's presence to the people, and they took the people essentially to God. Now, why does it matter that Jesus was one? The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus was the last high priest why is it important that he was one and that he is the last one? A couple of thoughts. One, the high priest could only get so far, right? Their, uh, their offerings for the people and for themselves remained a part of this realm, the earthly realm. It, 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 it was, they were their offerings, and what the high priest could do was a symbol. It was a symbolic gesture, and it worked symbolically as a function for the people and for God. But they, the high priest, participated in the very system that they were asking forgiveness for, right? So they would go to the, they would take the sins of the people, they would take their own sins and they would go and they would essentially ask God to forgive them. But they participated in the same system that they were seeking forgiveness from. So their offerings or what they could do could only go so far. And it only went so far as they, one day day a year could they go into the presence of God. So there were all kinds of veils and barriers for God's presence to the people and vice versa. So what they could do would only get so far. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus went straight through the heavens. The language is is interesting. A whole other sermon for another day. But went straight through the heavens into the presence of God. So what the high priest couldn't do, Jesus could do. Secondly, why does it matter that Jesus was one? In every way, Jesus knows what it's like to be human. One of, the, one of the, the most important ideas in Christian theology is the idea of the incarnation, that Jesus became a human. So in every way, Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He's not some absentee landlord going to the big, bad institutional head and sort of talking on our behalf. Jesus has been tempted in every way that we have, it says. He was human and yet was without sin, so we're in the deep end of the pool in terms of like Christian theology and why it matters that Jesus never sinned. Because now he's, he's legitimate. He, he has credit to go and do what he does, which is offer sacrifice on our behalf, having never participated in the system that we need forgiveness from. So he goes and does what we cannot do. And I would say, why does it matter that Jesus was the high priest? He essentially creates a path through the veils, through the different barriers that were there, directly into God's presence. And those stay open, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Whereas previously, you had to go through these steps and go through these different people, Jesus goes all the way through into the presence of God and stays there advocating on our behalf and offering sacrifice on our behalf, which we cannot do. So it matters a great deal that Jesus was a high priest and was the last high priest. Now, what does it mean for you and for me? So what? Big deal, Micah. Interesting, right? The, 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 the two dice that they would roll, they were called the, the, I think the Urim and the Thumen or something, and they were sort of engraved die that they would cast to sort of determine what God's will was. Do you remember when Joshua took over for Moses? There, those, those two die that the high priest would roll, they were cast that day. Oh, interesting. They wore these fantastic robes with all the 12 tribes of Israel and the, the prayer things. Okay, fan- fascinating. But why does it matter? A couple of thoughts as we close. I would say this. And I've said this before. Why does it matter for you and I that Jesus was a high priest, the last high priest? Number one, you are not alone. Jesus becoming human and living in our bodies, in our world, with all of the brokenness and temptation means that whatever we're going through, whatever you're going through, the scriptures want to make the case that Jesus knows and you are not alone. Some of you are here this morning and it's as if God has gone AWOL, absent without leave, like God has left the building. You have cried, you have begged, you have asked God to make God's self known to you. And if you would believe, if, you, if, if only you want to believe and you would believe if only God would show God's face. And to you I would say what Jesus said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a moment, we see this unbelievable, if this is true, the divine presence incarnate in Jesus knows and has been there. I uh, I've shared with some of you recently, my brother had brain surgery, and... Uh, it was touch and go for a little while. We didn't know uh, his whole right side couldn't he woke up from surgery couldn't speak, couldn't move his hand or his leg anything on his right side. 30-year-old brother, younger brother. And I rem- there was a look that I will never forget that I saw in my brother's eyes. He would he he, he just begged Carly his wife not to leave, to stay with him in in the room which is hard for a young mom who has a baby and three kids. But Josh just did not want to be alone. And I remember walking into his room the first few days and seeing this look in his eyes, which was, I'm so glad you're here. I'm scared, and I don't want to be alone. Friends, life is difficult. It is very hard. Death and, and the things that we experience in this world is hard enough, but to experience it alone is the, dark, the darkest of darkness, the emptiest of emptiness. And what the Christian theology of incarnation and Jesus says to that is we and you are not alone. So whatever it is that you might be struggling with going through, the scripture says that someone is with you And that matters a great deal. Second, I would say, what does it mean for you and me? You don't need me to get to God. Now, we're in a Catholic church from which the Protestant Reformation comes and the Covenant Reformation comes, the Evangelical Covenant. So our lineage goes all the way back to the Catholic Church. But... And there's much to be celebrated, much to be celebrated, much. We're going to spend a whole, this summer, going through the stained glass windows and why they're interesting, and they're the Beatitudes of Matthew, except for Christopher Columbus. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm excited to preach that one, actually. I'm really excited about that one. So stay tuned, friends, it could get dicey. But can I just for a moment challenge one of the fundamental flaws of religion, which I think many of you know in your bones is not the way it should be? And it's this. You don't need me to get to God. For many of us, our experience has been of the pastor-priest, that this person, uh, uh, our experience of this role in the church, looked a whole lot more like pre-Jesus temple than it does post-resurrection church. What I mean by that is, for many of us, the priest or the pastor was sort of the, uh, uh, they were the mediator. You had to go through them to get access to God, whether it was confession or communion or the scriptures or forgiveness or any of these things. You had to go through that person in order to get that thing or be in communication with God. For many of us, the pastor priest was not only the mediator, but they're the divinely appointed voice of God. And so to challenge that, is a a sketchy deal. And so I'm guessing that if you've ever been a part of churches in your life, that there may have been a point where you had a question or something you didn't agree with or something that you spoke up about and somebody asked you to just settle down, to get in line. Because the divine voice of God says that it's right. And that is a very, very, very dangerous proposition. Because that person then has all the power. the pastor-priest has the final word because it's the divinely appointed word of God. Now, friends, if you know me, you know that I want to challenge that with every bone in my body. One, because I I, I sort of, uh, you know, like when you push against a horse, they push back. Right, or you find somebody who you, you authority, you sort of assert authority, and they push back or they give you the middle finger. You know those kinds of people. I, I maybe in that camp a little bit. I'm maturing, I'm growing, I'm learning, but also theologically, it is just absolutely, I would submit, wrong. It is not what the scripture says about post-resurrection reality, about po- about the Church of Jesus Christ. So good news, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, Jesus is the priest. Jesus has the final word. Jesus is the representation. He's the one that mediates God's presence to us and mediates our presence to God and is the go-between between God's pre- God and us. So good news, you don't need me, you don't need a pastor, you don't need a priest to get to God. I think that's Good news. There's something called the priesthood of all believers in the New Testament, where each and every one of us who says yes by faith in Christ has a new position and access to God. Do you, oh my gosh, do you remember? Do you remember when the, the resurrection or the, the the crucifixion happens and the veil in the temple is torn? Symbolically, what's saying? What's what's been said? God is loose in the world, and who has access to him? Anyone who has faith in Christ, not just the appointed priest or pastor. So this one's huge in terms of what does it mean to be a New Testament follower of Jesus and what does it mean to be a part of a spiritual community? I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. And there are certain, there, there's, a, there's a, an invitation that I've been given and that many of you have been given because there are other pastors and, and teachers in this room who don't get paid by this church. But you don't need me to get to God. God. I get to participate in that process. I get to come alongside of, and I'm honored to do so in the ways that I can. Like this morning, any one of you could have dedicated Laura Hewn. Any one of us who follows Jesus and is a part of this body, theologically, that is huge. Let me close with this. It means you're not alone. It means you don't need me to get access to God. But lastly, it means Jesus is not Santa Claus. So let me end where I began. She finishes her story this way. For so many years, I have not... For so many years now, I have known that Santa Claus was actually a rigged-up Mrs. White from across the street. (laughs) This is is really a story about Miss White. Miss White was old. She lived alone in the big house across the street. She liked having me around. She plied me with cookies, taught me things about the world, tried to interest me in finger-painting, in which she herself took great pleasure. I liked her. She meant no harm on earth, and yet my printer and yet something something her failed visit as santa claus i ran from her again that day a day following of the following summer miss white knelt in her yard while she showed me a magnifying glass it was large and strong she lifted my hand holding hers very still focused a dab of sunshine on my palm the glowing crescent wobbled and spread and finally contracted to a point it burned i was burned I ripped my hand away and I ran home crying. Mrs. White called after me, saying sorry, explaining, but I didn't look back. Even now I wonder, if I meet God, will he take my and hold my bare palm in his, focusing his eye on my palm and kindle that spot and let me burn? But no. It was I who misunderstood everything and let everyone down. Miss White, God, I'm sorry I ran from you. I'm still running running from that knowledge, that I, that love from which there is no refuge. For you only meant love and love, and I felt only fear and pain. So once in Israel, love came to us incarnate, stood in the doorway between worlds, and we were all afraid. My hope, my prayer for us this morning, is that we learn from this text that we have access to God that in a way that you can come and bring anything and everything that you need. Approach the throne of grace with confidence because it's Jesus there and you can say anything and everything that you need to say to God. We're going to close this morning with uh, just a brief time of silence and then we'll sing together. Uh, hopefully... Uh, some songs that are connected to what we've talked about today. So I'm going to invite you this morning. There are, by the way, there are kneelers in the pews. If anyone ever wants to use them, please feel free. They're here. They work. You can pray with them. But I'm going to invite us to a time of silence. And uh, as we go into that, I want to invite you to maybe consider... Who it is that you think God is and looks like and acts like. What do we learn from Scripture? What do we learn from Jesus? Is that you have access to God. You can approach God without fear, without pain. God's invitation to come is not one to, to dole out fear and judgment. But what does Hebrews say? That we might receive grace and mercy. So, just a few moments of silence to do whatever business, whatever you would want to say to God, and then Josh will lead us in in song as we close. So let me offer a word of prayer and then a time of silence. God, as we begin this time and we come to you, I pray that whatever barriers, whatever has been in our mind about who you are and what you're like, if it needs to be challenged, would be challenged. If it needs to be reinterpreted, Uh, Maybe give us new images, God. Give us new understandings of who you are. And I pray that we would sense your presence in maybe ways that we haven't before. Be able to say things that maybe have been in our hearts for very long times. And so we come to you, God. Friends, Paul opens nearly every letter in the New Testament with grace and peace because something has happened in Jesus. This season is called Eastertide, where we learn to live out and live in the reality of resurrection, that the Son of God was resurrected from the dead and offers new life to all and any. So may you come to know that there is no reason to be afraid to be in God's presence, that Jesus is not Santa Claus, that God is for you, loves you, and invites you to come to receive grace and mercy, hope, forgiveness, all the things that we need, all the things we can't get on our own. So, grace and peace to you.
0: Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash awaken community. I want bit off by awaken community. See you okay. next time.